as you now to turn back to the back of your Bibles to James chapter 5. James 5, 19 and 20. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Father, we know from your word that we are like sheep who have gone astray. And that you compare your church to sheep and therefore there will always be people in your flock who find themselves wandering away from the group and who find themselves wandering away from the shepherd, the good shepherd. God, we see in your word in Matthew 18 that we are to go out looking for those lost sheep. God, that it's not your will that your children be left to fall through the cracks. And that we must be diligent. And Father, we see here in James chapter 5 that there's great reward if we are diligent in seeking after a brother or sister who strays. So God, let us see tonight the the seriousness of the task, but the joy of the reward that comes when someone is restored. Great rejoicing. And let there be that in our church family, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sunday morning, uh, as we looked at Romans chapter 1, we thought mainly about evangelism outside of the church walls. And uh, we urged ourselves to get outside of our comfort zones, uh, to go outside of our Sunday gatherings. Obviously, we want to bring lost people into them, uh, but that's not our main goal. Our goal is to get out Uh, of our huddles and out into the streets, out into the highways and hedges, as Jesus says, and compel people to come in to the Lord's banquet. Tonight, when we look at James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, uh, James is speaking about doing evangelism inside the church. This doesn't sound quite right to our ears that there would need to be evangelism inside the church, but reality tells us, And the Word of God tells us that there does need to be evangelism inside the church. Listen carefully to what he says again. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I want you to notice that Paul is teaching us to go bring in people who are straying so that they might be saved, but he tells us that they are people who are within the church in this instance. He's referring to Christians here. Verse 19, My brethren, if any among you strays, and one turns him back, he will save his soul. If any among you strays. In Romans 1, Paul is wanting to get to the ends of the earth because the ends of the earth is filled with people who are straying. But in James chapter 5, James is saying, On your way to the ends of the earth, don't forget that there are people all around you who go by the name of Christian, who are members of your fellowship, who also are straying. And we need to go to them as well. People who have professed faith, people who have been counted among the brethren, people who have in many ways benefited from 
um, the church and the gospel as it works in our midst, but people who have strayed from the truth. I'll give you an example of, of what it looks like, and all of you know people like this, but um, I met with a, a minister recently, um, and um, we began to talk, and it be, became very clear that he didn't believe the gospel. And he was even, at, at one point, uh, able to admit he didn't believe what the Bible says about the gospel. And eventually, um, as we got into the conversation, he said, you know, I used to believe like you. I used to be like you. He called me a fundamentalist. He said, I used to be a fundamentalist like you. I said, oh, okay. What happened to you? He said, well, I went to school. He went to school and he lost his faith. That's one way that people lose faith. They stray away from doctrinal truth. Things that they once held dear, things that they once thought they knew, things that they once thought they believed, somehow go out the window. Maybe because they go to, quote, school, or maybe for other reasons. That's one way people stray away from the truth. And some of you have known people who have left uh, Christianity and become um, Mormons, or left Christianity and become Jehovah's Witnesses, or Muslims, or atheists, or whatever it may be. Probably the more common way for us, in our experience, though, is people who leave and stray away from the practical truth of the Bible. Yes, they would still say verbally, oh, I believe that Jesus is the Savior, He's, he's the Lord, He's the only way to heaven. I believe all that stuff. But practically, it's very obvious that they've strayed away from the truth of how the Bible teaches that we ought to live as Christians. And again, I think this is most common for us. They go out into the world and they begin to sin and they are unrepentant about their sin. And they begin to think, well, I can just live any way I want because I know I'm a Christian. Or perhaps it's not that they go into some obvious, terrible sin that everyone would say, oh, what happened to so-and-so, but just that they begin slowly but surely to, to drift away from the church and they find themselves as a, quote, Christian who doesn't have a family. There are no Christians who are orphans. There are no Christians who are homeless. Every Christian has a family. They may stray for a season, but they'll come back if they're really a follower of the Lord. But we see these folks. They drift away doctrinally. They drift away um, practically through an unrepentant heart, or they just simply drop out of the church altogether. Some of you may be able to think of some folks like that right now that you know, either in this fellowship or outside of this fellowship. Uh, if they're in this fellowship, I hope you are praying for them already. And I hope that what we're going to say tonight will urge you to take action on their behalf lovingly. When people stray, it usually happens for a couple of reasons, according to Jesus. Over in Mark chapter 4, if you want to keep your finger in the book of James and just flip back uh, to Mark chapter 4, you'll remember that in Mark 4, Jesus is giving us the parable of four different kinds of soil. The farmer sows uh, his seed and some of it falls on the rocky path. Some of it falls among thorns and some of it uh, falls in um, rocky soil. And some of it falls on, on good ground, good soil and produces fruit. And then Jesus goes on in verses uh, 16 through 19 to explain the two kinds of seed that for a season seem to produce fruit, but then die away. Listen to what he says. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on rocky places. This is verse 16. Who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. So far, so good. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. 
Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Two main ways that seeming Christians end up falling away. Two main reasons that they end up falling away. One is the difficulties of being a Christian. Being a Christian is hard, right? It comes with afflictions. It comes with persecutions. Now, none of us is facing severe persecution for our faith. We might find out uh, how true we really are if that happens. But all of us face difficulties for being Christians. We face people who think that we're crazy. You're going to go to Japan? For who? For what? All of us face those kinds of things here and there, don't we? And some people, when they face those kinds of things, give up because they can't take what other people say about them or what other people may do to them or think of them because they're a Christian. So you can picture a husband or a wife, either one, who comes to the church and hears the word and says, this is great. They uh, make a profession of faith. They're baptized. They start to attend. But but the, the spouse never comes along. And the spouse picks at them about it. Or the spouse is just obstinate about it. Eventually, some of those people fall away because of the affliction and the constant pecking that happens at home. It can happen in very many ways. That's one way. The difficulties of being a Christian cause some people to fall away. And then Jesus says there in verses 18 and 19, the worries and cares of life cause people to fall away. What does he call it? The deceitfulness of riches, the worries of the world, and the desires for other things. I summarize those kind of in modern day terms like this. Why do people fall away? Some people. Sickness, soccer, and selfishness. Sickness, soccer, and selfishness. Or sickness, softball, and selfishness if you like soccer. Sickness. When someone is sick, obviously they're not here. and There's no problem with that. We understand that. But some people get a sickness or they get some other difficulty in their life. Maybe it's a financial difficulty. Maybe it's a difficulty in their family. And it distracts them for a little while as is, will happen with all of us when we go through great difficulty, but they never seem to come back. They, they get a difficulty that happens in their life, whatever it may be, and they start to kind of zero in on themselves. And their life becomes a great pity party and a great, well, as soon as I get this done or as soon as I get this fixed, then I'll be able to be back. And the very place they need to be when they're having all these difficulties is with God's people, right? Underneath the preaching of God's Word. But they get themselves into a rut because they start to only zero in on themselves and they never come back. And they fall away because of the worries of the world, the difficulties that they encounter in day-to-day living. Soccer or softball. Some people are so busy. Their kids are here, their kids are there, their kids are over the other place. They've got this, they've got that, they've got the other thing. All of these activities that aren't bad but that keep them from God and keep them from His people. And then selfishness. Jesus speaks about the deceitfulness of riches. Some people fall away because they begin to pursue selfish desires. Maybe they don't work on Sunday when church is going on, but they're so busy working, 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 working all the rest of the time that when Sunday comes, they've got to cut their grass, they've got to watch the game, they've got to wash their car, and they'd like to have a few minutes to rest on the weekend. And so eventually God just kind of gets pushed to the side. 
These are the kind of people that Jesus is talking about. People for whom all sorts of other things, whether it be sickness or selfishness or soccer, they forget about God and they forget about the church and they eventually leave these things behind in favor of the worries and cares of life. So there are two two routes. Just like Sunday, we had two different paths we could take. Today we have two different uh, routes we can take with, with what James is saying to us. The fact that people fall away, the fact that they need to be brought back into the fold. Where can we go with this? Well, one, we can go the route of self-examination. Self-examination. We can ask ourselves, how do I respond when I face afflictions and persecutions? Am I ashamed of the gospel when someone makes fun of me? Or puts me down because of my faith in Christ. And if I'm ashamed, maybe I haven't fallen away yet, but is this leading to something? What will happen if the tanks begin to roll in? Someone says, haha, that's not going to happen. They said that in a lot of other places. And it's happened. What's going to happen to us if we're ashamed now when it begins to be illegal to say certain things from the Bible? Well, some people are going to fall away. And worse, what might happen to us if we live our whole lives in comfy America and we never get our faith tested to see if we're going to respond rightly to afflictions? Wouldn't that be scary? You live your whole life and you never find out if you're really trusting God. You want afflictions. Just as an aside, you want afflictions so that you can test whether your faith is real. I found myself yesterday, or Monday I should say, Praying, God, I don't want afflictions, but I do want afflictions. And I know that I need them. And so do you. Self-examination also in the realms of selfishness and soccer and sickness. Are there things in my life, are there worries, are there cares, are there activities, is there busyness that tends to distract me from Christ? Keep me from my Bible and keep me from church. If there's anything in your life that's distracting you from Christ, keeping you from your Bible, and keeping you from church, you're on a dangerous path. Because that's where the people who are seed sown in the thorny ground start. They don't just disappear suddenly, but something keeps them from church one Sunday because it's more important, or it's urgent, or this will be the only time. And eventually a pattern forms. And if there are things that are keeping you from Christ and from His Word and from His people, then you need to cut them off at the source now before the pattern forms. That's one route we can take. We're not going to continue to take that route because that's not the route that James continues to take. But one route this morning or this evening is, am I on the pathway to becoming one of these people? Are they going to be saying this about me in another year or two years or five years? The second route, the route that James actually takes, the one that we're going to spend the rest of our time on tonight, is the route of concern for others. Self-examination, concern for others. We need to be asking ourselves tonight and constantly, who in our church might be in danger of slipping away? As I look around at the people in my family, do I see anyone that looks like they might be in danger of slipping away? Is there someone in the church who's facing affliction, facing difficulty because of the faith that might deflate them or that is deflating them? Or is there someone that I see who's piled up with worldly cares that might distract them? And if there is, 
What am I going to do about it? Or we're at a place tonight where we can ask who already has slipped away. There are some, aren't there? There are people who have already slipped away. They've fallen through the cracks. They've faded out of sight in recent months. What are we going to do about it? Well, that's what James is going to speak about here. What do we do when someone begins to slip away or already has slipped away, fallen away from the church? What does James say about evangelism inside the church? About restoring the missing sheep? I want to give you six truths, each one of them uh, fairly briefly, from these two verses. They're really reminders. We've gone over these things before in various contexts. We studied Matthew 18 very closely um, last year. So this is nothing new to most of you, but just reminders of what we need to be about in looking for that one or two or three or more lost sheep. Six truths for restoring a straying brother or sister. Number one, someone must bring the straying brother back. Someone must bring him back. Notice what he says in verse 19. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, someone has to bring him back. In other words, church members are sheep, not cats. You heard the stories, right? People move away from home. They move from Cincinnati to Idaho. And six months later, their cat that they forgot shows up on their doorstep. Or um, you understand that if you have a cat, you can put him out in the yard and leave him out there and he's going to come home at night. Cats know how to find their way back. Sheep don't. That's why sheep need a shepherd. You can't leave a sheep out in the yard and go to work all day expecting to be there when you get back. He won't be there. Church members are sheep, not cats. What James is saying is if someone strays, if we expect him to be back in the fellowship, someone's got to go get him. Someone has to go get him. They will not return on their own. God's plan is a plan of retrieval. To go and search them out and find them. Again, that's the illustration of the missing sheep as Jesus tells it in Matthew chapter 18. Should we pray for them? Yes. Should we hope that they'll be back? Yes. Should we send them letters? Yes. Should we write them uh, little notes, um, the little goofy Sunday school postcards that I used to get any time I missed Sunday school when I was a kid? Probably not. Should we email them? Maybe. Call them? Yes. But somebody's got to go and get them. Face to face, heart to heart, with honest and loving words, someone has to go bring them back. And Matthew chapter 18, as you know, gives the process for how that happens. You don't go grab them by the collar and say, you're coming to church with me and throw them in the car with you. If someone sins, if someone strays from the truth, as James says, you go to them. First, just you, one person. You speak to them about what's going on. You urge them to return to the Lord and return to His people. If they listen to you, wonderful. If they don't, you bring back one or two more and you do the same thing. If they listen to you, wonderful. If they don't, then you... um, through the leadership in the church, you tell the whole church, please go get this person. And the whole church, in various ways, tries to urge them to repent, urge them to return or whatever it might be. And then fourthly, as you know, if they don't listen to the church, then you have to assume that they're an unbeliever. But I want you to notice that steps one and two are about you going. Someone has to go and bring them back. And that brings me to the second thing. 
All church members are responsible for this. All church members are responsible for this. In Matthew 18, Jesus says to his disciples as a whole, if someone sins against you, go get them. And here in James chapter 5, verse 19, James addresses not the elders of the church, but just my brethren. My brethren. He's speaking to the whole church. And he says, To the whole church, if any among you strays and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. He doesn't anywhere say that there are certain people who are responsible for this task. He just addresses the whole church and says, If anyone strays, someone go get them. Someone go get them. Now, obviously, the elders who are the shepherds underneath the Lord Jesus, who's the shepherd, the elders are the shepherds in the church. And if anyone ought to be paying attention to the straying sheep, it ought to be the shepherds. We understand that. And you need to pray for us because this is one of the main tasks that, uh, that we are talking about when we meet month to month right now is those people who are in this position. So you need to pray for us. But I want you to understand also that James and Jesus don't leave it only to the elders. They give it to the whole church and say, you go. And I want to remind you from Sunday that your life and your circumstances and your personality and your background and your testimony are handcrafted by God and different from everyone else in this church. And that enables you to uniquely reach certain people outside the church for Christ, but it also enables you uniquely to reach certain people inside the church who may be straying. Doesn't that make sense? Some of you have relationships, very close relationships, or some connection to some of the people who have strayed. And it's much easier for you to go than it is for someone else who doesn't know them very well. It may be much easier for you to go uh, even than one of the elders. They may listen to you in a different way than they would listen to me or than they would listen to someone else. And because you're each unique and because you're each in different places and seeing different things, some of you may see things happening and see someone begin to slip away before we do. In that case, your responsibility, according to Matthew 18 and James chapter 5, is not to come tell on them, not to sweep it under the rug and hope it will go away, but to go to them. If you're the only one who knows, who's going to go but you? So God has designed it that some of you have been handcrafted to go out and get some of these sheep. And we need to be willing to do it. So here's what needs to happen. This is how we've practically laid it out um, for how we want to do this as a church when we did our constitution in, in the previous year. Step one, if someone's sinning you, whoever you are, if you know that someone is sinning, someone is straying, someone is looking like they're about to begin straying, you, whoever you are, you go get them. If they won't listen to you, if they won't come back with you, if they won't repent, then you, whoever you are, go get an elder and maybe someone else who's in that person's immediate sphere of relationships, and then you go back to them. We're bringing the elders in on step two so that we know what's going on, so that it doesn't come that we show up at church one Sunday and there's three of you that say, um, in another week we're going to have to kick someone out of the church. We won't pick on any names tonight. Um, Justin. Um, just kidding. Step two, you bring in one or two others, including an elder. And then step three, then the elders will be the ones who will take the responsibility and the ownership to present it to the church and so on. But steps one and steps two are you. You. 
Whoever you are, church member, they are you. So, number two, all church members are responsible for doing this, for going out and seeking the lost sheep. Number three, the goal in all this is repentance. The goal is repentance. Notice what he says. Let him know, verse 20, that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul. He who turns a sinner from the error of his way. What does that mean? That's the definition of repentance. What is repentance? When you turn from the error of your way and, by virtue of that, also turn to God in Christ. But what James is asking here is that we bring people to repentance. Just like we said on Sunday, we're not simply trying to get people back in the church. And that makes good sense because here are people who have been in church and it obviously hasn't worked for them yet. They don't just need to be in church, they need to have repentance. So we're not trying simply to get people to come back, which is, is helpful, but that's not the end goal. We're not, if there's a dispute with someone, if the problem is not that they've left the church, but that they're disputing with another person, we're not simply trying to get two people to agree to disagree so that we don't have to fool with it anymore. We're trying to get repentance. We're not trying to get someone to say, well, I'm going to work at doing better. No, we're, we want them to, to have genuine repentance. Life change. That comes sometimes with tears. It comes sometimes with very difficult conversations. It comes sometimes with them having to make huge adjustments. That's what we're looking for. That's what James is asking of us, that we turn them from the error of their way. Not that we just come to a nice, settled agreement not to fight anymore. It's the same with an unchurched person as with a person in the church who seems to be demonstrating that they're not a believer. We don't want them simply in church. We want them in heaven. And therefore they must repent and they must believe on Christ. And we must give them every opportunity and every encouragement to do so. Number four, eternity is at stake. Eternity is at stake. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save his soul from death. Will save his soul from death. Here's what James is saying. Here's the practical outflow of what he's saying. If a professing believer, a church member, goes down this road and we go after them and they never repent, then we don't consider them a carnal Christian. We don't consider them a Christian who just won't have any rewards in heaven. What he's saying is, if someone goes down this road and does not repent, he's lost. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 18. We're to treat him as a tax collector or a sinner. And we love lost people. We love tax collectors and sinners. We love to have them around. We love to, um, to love on them and help them and encourage them. But we recognize that they're lost. And that's what James is saying. We are saving them not from being a bad Christian, not from being a poor Christian, not from being a Christian who's not doing as well as he could be. We're saving them from death. And not physical death only, the death of their soul. Now let me just pause here and ask, is James teaching that people can lose their salvation? It seems that he's teaching that, isn't it? It seems that he's saying, here's a, here's a person who's in the church, now they begin to stray from the truth, however it is that they're straying, they're straying from the truth. And if we don't go get them, or if they don't repent, they're going to die spiritually. They lost their salvation, Right? Well, no. He doesn't say that. He simply says what he says, and we have to go to the rest of the Scripture to understand. Is he saying that this is a person who really was saved and lost their salvation? 
Or is he saying that this is a person who thought they were saved and now is proving that they never really were? Well, he's saying the second. Let me show you how I know that. One place that I know that from is James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. James 2, 14 through 17. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? That's a question that the obvious answer is no. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Now here's what he's saying in those verses. There are lots of people who say, verse 14, who say that they have faith. But verses 15 and 16, talk is cheap. It's just as cheap to say, oh yeah, I believe, and then not to live it, as to say to someone, man, I hope, I hope all your needs get met, and not to do anything about it. Words don't mean anything if they're not backed up with actions. I believe in Jesus doesn't mean anything if it's not backed up in actions. Just the same as, man, I hope that you're warm today, and I hope that you get food to eat today. It doesn't mean anything if it's not backed up with actions. So there are lots of people who say that they have faith. And just as an aside, that's the entry requirement for becoming a member of the church, isn't it? You say that you have faith. You at least give some initial indication that you're interested in, in the Lord and that you want to follow him. You are baptized and the church accepts you as a member. So the church is filled with people who say that they have faith. But James has just illustrated that saying that you have faith is not enough. Your faith has to be demonstrated through the way that you live. So saying that you have faith gets you into the church, but it may not mean you're really a Christian. So what James is saying then here in chapter 5 is, this brother who strays is someone who just says he has faith. He's one of the people who says he has faith, but who has no works, and therefore the, quote, faith that he has cannot save him. His faith was not genuine. He never was really saved. So James is not saying that we may lose our salvation. He's simply saying that there are some people who, who have faith and who demonstrate it by action and some people who simply say that they have faith. Both are in the church. And eventually the wheat will be separated from the chaff and sometimes it happens while we look. And that's where James is with us. But here's why this is so important. If we don't seek these lost sheep, people who say that they have faith but who obviously don't, if we never seek them and try to bring them back to the Lord or bring them truly to the Lord, we leave them their whole life long in a deceived state, don't we? People who are out in the world who are atheists or who believe some bizarre thing about God, they're not deceived. They are deceived, but they're not deceived into thinking they're Christians. And so it's bad enough that we leave them where they are and never tell them the truth. But what about people who have come to the church, joined the church, we've baptized them, we've said we think you're a Christian, we've treated them as a Christian, served them the Lord's Supper, given them the membership privileges, then they prove that they were just saying that they had faith, and we don't ever do anything about it. We leave them their whole life long thinking everything's okay. Pastor Court baptized me. Back when I was seven, I'm 47 now, but back when I was seven, I got baptized. We cannot do that to people. We cannot do that to people. And they will die there. 
if we don't go get them. They will die in their deceived state. And that will be on our account. So, eternal life is at stake here in these things. Fifthly, the health of the church is at stake. The health of the church is at stake. Verse 20 again. He who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now before we get to the health of the church, just pause with me and let's ask, what does James mean by covering a multitude of sins? Whose sins? Well, some people read this and they say, hey, if I go out and I seek to bring people back into the church, God will forgive me my sins. As though somehow seeking to bring others to Jesus could allow you to skip over that step and God will forgive you for your good work of seeking to bring others to Jesus. That's not how it works. In fact, that's what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. They believe that they're right with God by by telling as many people as possible to come to God. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying you'll cover your own sins by going out and seeking this person. Obviously, he's saying that you'll cover his sins. So if the straying brother goes out, leaves the church, or sins against the Lord in a grievous way, and you bring him back, you're rescuing him from death, and you're also covering over a multitude of sins. And he has two things there. So he doesn't mean exactly the same thing. He's not saying the same thing twice, I don't believe. Yes, we know that we're rescuing him from death. God has forgiven this sin. He's come to Christ, and he's saved. But when he says we're saving this brother from a multitude of sins or covering a multitude of his sins, I think he's, he's alluding to the fact that we're going to save him some great public embarrassment, aren't we? There are some people that we have had grievously to exclude from our church because we've gone through these processes and they did not repent. And it's a public embarrassment, isn't it? It's embarrassing for me to stand up before you and say, today we have to exclude so-and-so person for this reason and so on. That's why when you exclude them, they never show up on that Sunday. Because it's an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment. And we're saving him from that. And, in addition to that, we're rescuing him from much future wickedness, aren't we? If someone's going down this way, on the pathway that leads to hell, and we get him, and we bring him back, give him to the Lord Jesus, he trusts the Lord Jesus, and now he begins to go down the narrow path that leads to life, think of all the sin that he's averted that he would have done if we hadn't rescued him. And I think that's what James is saying. We're covering his sins. In other words, if we can get him before we have to tell it to the whole church, then nobody has to know, or not everybody has to know about this thing that happened. And if we can get him before he gets into hell, think of all the sin that he would have committed that we will rescue him from. What does all that have to do with church health? What does public embarrassment and future wickedness have to do with harming the church? Well, simply this. This isn't exactly what James says, but it's an implication that I think is important for us. Whole churches can split or can lose their testimony in the community or can become spiritually debilitated or inwardly focused so that they're not getting to the nations when sin is constantly swept under the rug. When we sweep sin under the rug, lots of bad stuff happens. Because eventually it's going to come out, right? I mean, you can only sweep so much stuff underneath your rug at home before somebody's going to trip over the lump. 
And that's the way it is in the church. Eventually it's going to come out. Eventually something's going to happen and then the church is going to be really angry because it's going to come out all at once. Or then the community is going to go, this is incredible. Look at how these Christians live. And we'll lose our testimony. Do you know how long it would take if we lost our testimony in this community? How long it would take to regain that? Longer than most of us will live. Or the church can simply become spiritually debilitated because if we continue to hide sin and hide sin and hide sin and not deal with it, God may just refuse to bless us. Now, He blesses us in spite of our sins and He has every uh, right to do that. He's God. But He doesn't have to bless us in spite of our sins. So for the good of the church, we have to attack sin when it happens. We have to attack it when it happens or much worse trouble will come. Finally, number six. When we seek to restore the straying brother, the gospel is our shepherd's crook. The gospel is our shepherd's crook. We're going back again to this analogy of the 99 sheep and the one straying sheep. And when you go out to get the straying sheep, one of the things you take with you is this crook by which you can uh, get the sheep around the neck and gently bring him to yourself if he's down in a crevice or something like that. And what I want to say to you is when we go to bring people back, the instrument, the only instrument that we take with them is the gospel. We can take a heavy hand, that won't work. We can take lots of recriminations, that won't work either. We can take a lot of pleading and, and uh, we really want you back and that would be such a wonderful thing. Everybody would be so happy. That's not going to work either in the end. That's just going to appeal to their pride. What will work? What's the one thing that we can use to reach down into the crevice and pull the sheep out? The gospel. Now that's not explicit in James chapter 5, but it's implicit. It's assumed by James. And the gospel in many places in the book of James is assumed. He goes through and he gives us all these very practical things, but he's assuming that as believers we understand that the power behind these things is the gospel. And it makes sense, doesn't it? How can we turn a brother from the error of his way if we don't at the same time turn him to Jesus? If we turn him from the error of his way anywhere else, he's going to just be in another error of another way. We've got to turn him from the error of his way and turn him to Jesus who forgives our errors and who by his resurrection gives us power to overcome those errors and change and who in his life was an example and a motivation to be different. Christ died to forgive the straying brother. He rose to give him power to change and he's the example and the motivator to continue to bring him forward in holiness. We've got to turn him to Jesus. We can't simply go to him and say, do better. We can't simply go and give a list of rules. Now, if you can conform to these things, then you can come back. No. We don't want outward conformity. We won't, don't want a bunch of legalists in the church. We want people who have genuinely come to Christ. And the problem with the straying brother in the first place is they never genuinely came to Christ. He just came to church. We don't want that again. We want to bring him to Christ. And what a wonderful opportunity when he's gone away or when he's gone off the edge of a cliff into sin, and we're able to come to Him and say, we love you. And the reason we love you is because Christ has first loved us. And we forgive you and are kind-hearted towards you just as Christ has been towards us. And if you would turn to Christ, you would find this forgiveness 
from Him. That's the way that we bring them back. We have to get them to Jesus so that they can be truly forgiven, so that they can be truly changed, and so that we can know that it's the power of God, Romans 1.16, and not simply our human effort that is bringing them back. Don't you want to know that? Whether you're trying to bring someone to Christ from outside the church or someone who's been on the inside, don't you want to know that it's been the power of God that's brought them and not your power? Because your power can't keep them. Your power can't even keep you. You want to know that it's the power of God that's keeping them. And the only power of God to bring sinners to salvation, whether they're inside the church or outside, is the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Let me just conclude by asking you, will you do these things? Will you do these things? Will you seek to turn your brother or your sister from the error of his way or her way? Will you make sure that you're not ashamed of the gospel, either outside the church or inside the church? Will you say with Paul from Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, to the religious person first, to the church member first, and also to the Greek. Fanny Cosby says it like this, Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep, O the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Isn't that what James is saying? I think it is. So let's not be hearers of the word only as we close the book of James tonight, but let's be doers. Father, we pray now. First of all, we pray for ourselves. God, in this room sits tremendous potential to bring sinners both outside and inside the church from the air of their ways to the cross of Jesus. And we pray that you give us boldness both out there and in here to bring the straying ones to Jesus, to tell the poor wanderer a Savior has died. And God, secondly, we pray for the wanderers. Tonight, specifically, we pray for those in our fellowship who have wandered away or who are on the verge of doing so, God. And we can all picture different ones in our minds who are struggling. Some we haven't seen in months. Make us faithful, Father. And grant us grace by the gospel to turn them from the error of their ways and to save their souls from death. We pray that you do this in Jesus' name. Amen.